This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by the Oregonian and Oregon Live dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Vicki Connor. Together, we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today, we're headed down to Southern Oregon, exploring one of the less explored wine regions in the Pacific Northwest. That's right, Vicki. I'm sure everyone listening is probably familiar with the Willamette Valley wine country, which is one of the most popular and well-respected wine regions in the country. And wine enthusiasts are probably also familiar with the vineyard scene around Walla Walla or some other places. But if you head down to the Rogue Valley in Southern Oregon, you'll find a smaller yet really robust wine region that is really just starting to get a lot more attention. Yeah, Jamie, i can tell you that I do not know much about (laughs) wine or wine country, so I'm ready to really be enlightened by this. And I really haven't explored Southern Oregon much either. Um, So was this uh, your first time going down to, uh, I guess, is the Applegate Valley? Yeah, it's the Applegate Valley AVA. And AVA stands for American Viticultural Area. It basically means um, a specific area of wine growing region. Um, and there's a bunch of AVAs around Oregon. And the Applegate Valley itself is sort of nestled within the larger Rogue Valley AVA. It's all very confusing. But what this means is that this is a sort of a pocket of wine country where the conditions are all sort of similar. And there are a bunch of people who are growing grapes, which means there are a bunch of wineries and vineyards where you can go taste wine on a beautiful trip. And Vicki, what I love about this area in particular is that it's not just a a place where a bunch of wineries are. It's also a really beautiful place. That's, I think, a perfect spot for a nice drive, especially this time of year. Yeah, that sounds great. You recently took a trip down to the Applegate Valley. Um, So how, how long is the drive from Portland to get down there? It's a little over four hours. I think we gave ourselves five hours to get down there from Portland. We, you know, stopped off in, uh, I believe we stopped off in Roseburg for lunch. Um, you know, really just sort of took our time and, and got down. And there's a few kind of areas to, to anchor yourself. So the Applegate Valley is located basically between Grants Pass and Medford, um, just south of I-5 where it does a little bend there. You can anchor yourself in either, but where we wanted to sort of stay was a small town of Jacksonville, Oregon. And Jacksonville is an old gold mining town. It kind of has that old West aesthetic still. Um, and it's not very large. It's, it's pretty small, but it's a place where all the storefronts are open. There's things happening. There are restaurants. There are tasting rooms. It's kind of a, a bustling little town. And I think buoyed a, in large part by this beautiful wine country that's just right next door. Wow. So how long did you spend down there? We did just two nights. So two nights in Jacksonville. So we, we spent um, one day driving down there. Um, we spent mm-hmm. one night in Jacksonville. And then we spent our full day in that area touring the Applegate Valley. So we really gave ourselves a lot of time to go to a bunch of different wineries. We did four wineries in that one full day, um, which is kind of like the, the most you would want to do in a single day. The most I would want to do in a single day. Four felt like 
a little bit much, to, to be honest. I feel like three, three to four is kind of the sweet spot if you really want to tour a bunch of wine country. But, um, okay. you know, in, in the hotel we stayed at, which is the Jacksonville Inn, a historic hotel, there's a tasting room in the lobby. And oh, wow. the day we got there, uh, so we drove into town and checked into the hotel. And the manager said, oh, by the way, there's one of the vineyards is doing a tasting here, you know, in a couple hours. So come back and check it out. So we bopped around town in Jacksonville and checked out some cool little stores and little ice cream parlors um, and came back and had a wine tasting. So we got kind of an extra winery in that way. Um, and my whole my whole idea is like, uh, what I love about wine tasting and specifically little regions like this is learning about the different kinds of wines they grow here. What kind of grapes mm-hmm. do they grow? Why? Um, what, what's the scene there? Like, what are the wineries doing that are similar? What are they doing that are different? Um, right. what's kind of the general vibe of this, this wine country? And that, that was really sort of what I was aiming for here in Applegate Valley. Okay. So tell me, Jamie, what makes the conditions in the Applegate Valley great for growing grapes? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's got that nice, good soil, like a lot of places in Oregon do and a lot of the places in the West. Um, but so this is in the, in the Siskiyou mountains, um, just right near the California border. So mm-hmm. you get these sort of really hot days and these really cool nights and something very scientific, I don't quite understand, <laughs> makes that optimal for certain types of grape varieties. But what some of the vendors are telling me is you can grow a lot of grapes down there. Um, not everything, but the, that particular climate allows you to grow a lot of different kinds of things. So we were seeing a lot of mm-hmm. like Syrahs and Malbecs and Tempranillos, um, along with your, you know, typical, your Chardonnays. Um, some Pinot Gris, um, just really a, a wide variety of grapes. It wasn't like they were doing something specific. Like in the Willamette Valley, it's Pinot country, Pinot Noir country. And you see a lot of that. Here we saw just a, a, a wide variety of things. There was no one particular grape that was really dominating that scene. And I think that allowed for vineyards and wineries to do different kinds of stuff, um, different interesting blends. It seemed like there was a lot of creativity there uh, among the, the wine growers. And I thought that was really cool. That sounds so cool. Like I said, I really don't know much <laughs> about wine and all the varieties and anything. So uh, kind of learning the science about that is super, super interesting to me. You know, wine tasting is an interesting activity to do. It's something that um, I haven't done a lot of like this because I I don't like to drink and drive. I mean, uh, you shouldn't, no one should. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you yes. know, and, but what I, I really learned to embrace this time was something that a lot of, uh, you know, wine tasting enthusiasts will really support is this idea of spitting out the wine after you taste it. It's a weird thing. I got to say, I had never done it before, but on this trip, I was really like, this is the, 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 the trip where I'm going to learn to love the spit bucket. And some things I learned is that it, you'd think there'd be a fancy like wine tasting name for the spit bucket. No, it's just the spit bucket. Um, you can call it a spittoon if you want to get fancy. Um, but it is not something they're just going to offer you. Uh, at least no, none of the, the wineries I went to did. I had to be mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, and by the way, may I please have a bucket in which to spit out all of your wine. And it's totally uh-huh. cool. It's totally kosher. Everyone's down for yeah. it. Um, and what I loved about that is I was able to try 20, 25 different kinds of wine and not feel inebriated at all. Um, right. which is honestly, I think the, a much better way to wine taste. Um, mm-hmm. cause I wasn't distracted by like, Oh, am I drinking too much? Oh, am I going to be safe? All of this stuff. 
I think if you're going to do a lot of wine tasting like this, that's definitely the way to go. And it allows you to sort of stay more lucid and really have a better understanding and be more discerning about the kinds of wine you are drinking. And I love that. I, I love that that opportunity. So this is a sort of an eye-opening experience for me of like, oh, here's how you can actually do wine tasting. Here's how you can make this an activity that is safe and is fun and is honestly more enjoyable, in my opinion anyway. So I am curious going off of that, after you take your initial sip of the wine, how long do you kind of like <laughs> hold it in your mouth, like think about it, really get all the flavors that you're like looking for before you get that spit bucket out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I did lots of like Googling about this where like I was like watching videos. I was oh, yeah. really trying to figure out like what what's the proper way to do this. Um, and it, what it, what I was sort of seeing is that there's this you kind of you drink the wine into your mouth and you kind of swish it around a little bit, like introduce air into it in your mouth, mm, okay. um, get it on the palate, um, kind of feel it on the tongue for just a, you know, a, a few moments, um, maybe just like, I don't know, five seconds uh, or something like that enough to sort uh -huh. of go, Hmm, yes, I see. And, and then spit it out after that. And interestingly, like and when you drink wine, there's sort of, um, uh, you could kind of get a deeper sense of the taste as it's going down your throat and coming out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. It's similar when you're spitting wine, where as it's leaving your mouth and there's sort of more air coming into your mouth that way, you get another, you get a sense of the wine that way too. So you're really not losing out on anything by spitting it out, except yeah. the feeling of inebriation. So I, I really felt like, because I thought like, oh, well, it's not going to be as good. If I spit, I'm going to be missing out on that tasting experience. And that's that's just not true. Well, there you go. That That is very good to know. <laughs> okay, so let's, uh, should we go through some of the wineries now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so um, I believe you mentioned that there are four different wineries. And um, is that in total no. in the Applegate Valley? No, no. there okay. are 18 wineries that are like wow. sort of officially part of the Applegate Valley AVA. Um, okay. And so picking those was sort of a, a the, the tricky decision. How do I pick just four? So I spoke right. to um, Oregonian uh, wine writer, Michael Aberdy. I spoke to my mom, who's a big wine enthusiast, who went down there um, last year, or a couple of years ago. And um, they gave me some um, a couple of, of suggestions. And then I went to the website of the Applegate Valley Wine Association. And I just looked for one or two that looked like interesting and pretty, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And the four that I came up with, um, which were Quaddy North, Cowhorn Vineyard, Troon Vineyard, and Placens Ranch. I, you know, throughout the day, people would say, oh, what's your itinerary? And these, these winemakers, these people pouring wine. And I would tell them those four and they'd all sort of nod silently. They're like, you know, like, mm, yes, yeah, those, those, those are good, good choices. And that felt really validating to me that I picked some good ones. Okay, so uh, was Quaddy North the first one that you visited then? Quaddy North was first of the day. And we started about uh, 11 a.m. when they first opened, which is admittedly like really early to be drinking wine. But again, <laughs> not drinking, it was like less of a thing. It was like tasting anything else. Um, mm -hmm. So Quaddy North is interesting. It, it's a very well-respected winery. Um, they have sort of this um, kind of warehouse production facility there. And then attached to that is a little indoor tasting room. And the tasting room okay. was very cute inside. Um, they sort of have a newer outdoor seating area too, which is where we chose to go do our tasting because it was so nice out. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the fascinating thing about this is it's not like a tranquil 
experience there. Like the tasting area is right <laughs> next to where they were like um, farmers are bringing in the grape harvests and they were like heavy machinery, a lot of chitter chatter. Um, so mm -hmm. it wasn't like sort of what you might imagine of like, oh, so tranquil and peaceful out here. Like there was the views are beautiful. But I found that that experience really interesting, actually, of getting to sort of see this back door look at the wine production. So we're drinking yeah. the wine and the owner of Quadi North literally just he walked over and he had just cut off some grapes from one of the Sims and just like flopped down this like bunch of grapes on our table and was like, oh, here, <laughs> try these. Um, you're drinking the wine right now. Eat the grapes. And that was like yeah. really cool, you know, um, uh -huh. getting sort of less romantic, but I don't think it always needs to be so romantic. So I thought that was a really cool experience. Yeah, I love that you get to have that little behind the scenes action. And how were the grapes that he, that he brought over? Oh, they were great. I mean, it, the wine grapes are, of course, a little bit different than like, I guess you'd call them table grapes that you eat normally. Um, yeah. You know, there, of course, there's some seeds in there, but I thought it was it was very good and interesting to be like, you know, try to find try to find like tasting notes that are similar in the grapes, to the wine, which I, it was mm -hmm. difficult for me. I'm not in that much of an expert or anything. Uh, yeah. But I thought it was a really cool experience just to sort of see like, oh, this is what made what I'm drinking right here. So, okay, well, did any wine specifically there stand out to you in your tasting? Yeah, they had um, a nice Syrah and a Merlot that I really enjoyed. Uh, but they really had the one that stood out the most was this orange Muscat. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, um, which was uh, sort of really fun and sweet and nice. Um, a different kind of wine that I didn't see anywhere else. I don't know that I've really had anywhere doing a wine tasting mm -hmm. before. So I think that was sort of the, the main standout for, for me. And I guess we should probably just backtrack a little bit. Are there certain wines that you'd normally go for or what what is your taste in wine? That's a great question. I, I'm pretty much across the board. I like anything interesting. I'll drink anything. I, I love a Pinot Noir. I love a good sort of deep earthy Pinot Noir um, and like a crisper white is sort of where okay. I go. Like a, you know, a Pinot Gris, I love um, basically anything but like a, a really sort of buttery Chardonnay. <laughs> um, which there were lots of also, and which were mm -hmm. interesting and good. That's the thing. I'm always interested in tasting whatever's, whatever's interesting, whatever, some, anything that is sort of, um, made with, with good intention. Um, mm -hmm. then I'm, I'm, I'm interested in trying that. Got it. So how many wines in total did you try at Quaddy North? Oh uh, gosh, we tried five there. Five at Quaddy okay. North. Yeah. And does it come out in like a little flight type thing? Yeah, Quaddy North. Um, yeah, they they kind of brought it. Um, they would bring some out at, at a time, but they would sort of like have little pitchers that you'd pour into your wine glass. Uh, my partner Sadie and I were splitting tastings for most of these, since mm -hmm. I'm, I'm spitting and you know she's not drinking much. Like it's it was made more sense that way, and you could sort yeah. of pour into your wine glass from there. Um, but that each winery is different in the way they operate tasting. Some they'll really bring one out at a time and explain it to you and have a whole conversation. Some are like, here's your flight and here's a, a card of information. Um, mm -hmm. they're both are, both are fine for different reasons. Um, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, it's something to know. All right. Anything else about Quaddy North before we move on to our next one? No, I think I want to move on to the next one because the next one was my favorite spot of the day. Okay. All right. Tell me what it was. The second spot is Cowhorn. Um, and I, I love this spot. So it, they, they have a tasting room indoor and these bunch of these sort of like separate areas you can do outdoor wine tasting. Like um, there's a little garden area with tables, but also where we sat was this little sort of tucked in alcove outside 
with like a table mm. and some benches with cushions and it was covered. And there's several, there's several of those little pockets all lined up next to each other. And sitting there, we had this beautiful view of the vineyard right in front of us. And, um, they brought out tastings to our table one at a time. Um, and it was just like the, the scene, the vibe was so peaceful. And I really enjoyed that. They also served yeah. food there, which I liked. So we got, um, a, a pepper and tomato pizza while we were tasting our wine, which was very cool and fun. Um, mm -hmm. and also there was a dog who was hanging around, which is always cool too. <laughs> You gotta love that. Yeah. Gotta love a, a <laughs> I would have been there. Dog. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been petting that dog the whole time, not even paying attention to the wine. <laughs> so based on what you've told me, it doesn't seem like the food was kind of like paired with a specific wine, mostly just kind of there. They will do that option. there. Cowhorn does do a pizza wine pairing. Um oh. but we we didn't do that. We just got a, a we got a a tasting flight and then just got the pizza on top of that. Um, I was sort of less interested in that and more interested in what are the wines that they want to feature. Um, right. And also I need to eat, <laughs> you know, it was, it was more <laughs> of, of that situation. Yes. Okay. So what did you try there and what stood out? Yeah, we tried um, four different wines. We had um, a nice rosé. Um, they had a white blend, a really good Grenache that we we liked a lot, um, as well as, as a Syrah that was pretty good. Um, you know, so a couple, again, a couple of, of, of whites and a couple of reds, um, across the board. Very nice. Um, for me though, the, the main highlight was just the atmosphere. Um, uh, I feel like, I felt like they could have served me anything and I would have enjoyed it a little bit more because the scenery and the, the comfort there was just really, really spot on. That's great. Sounds like it really checked off that more like romantic feeling that you're, that you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. All right. Moving on to the third, which is Troon. And Troon is um, a winery that has been getting a lot more attention lately. They've been getting some accolades, some mentions in, I think, Wine Spectator magazine. Um, mm. as sort of one of the one of the better wineries in America. Oh, wow. And one, one of the cool things about Troon is that they are very much into sort of this biodynamic, um, regenerative, organic certification scene. So the, the, they're really not just about like, let's make the best wine possible, but they're about like, you know, really doing it in a way that is good for the environment, that is um, going to be providing, you know, uh, wines that are, are free of, of any sort of pesticides or anything harmful something that's going to be good for the soil and the place where they're growing the wines, which is sort of their, their main, their main approach, which is really nice. And it, it's helpful too, that the wine is also, I think, really good. This is another spot though, where, um, sort of look, just looking at the atmosphere, it has a really nice, um, and different kind of tasting experience. So the vineyards are kind of off, uh, offset a little bit from the tasting area, but you're in this sort of, uh, if you imagine sort of a, a garden, like a fancy lawn, um, mm -hmm. with like all these trees overhead providing shade and these little garden oh. tables. Wow. Um, it's kind of spaced out, you know, somehow they, they have umbrellas over top of them and like a little bridge over a little water feature. Um, mm -hmm. they're really like, if you want to take your wine and walk around and explore the garden, please go ahead. We did Ooh. not, but that's something you can do there. Um, uh -huh. and it was just, again, a really sort of peaceful setting, but it really felt like you were in like a fancy backyard, you know, which yeah. is essentially what it is. And, um, they brought out the wines one at a time, very, um, conscious about like talking to us at length about like this kind of wine and how it's made and the grapes involved and all of this stuff. And I thought it was a really nice experience there too. 
And while Troon has been getting a lot of attention for their biodynamic wines, we should note that Cowhorn Vineyard has also been doing biodynamic winemaking and in fact was the first certified biodynamic winemaker in Southern Oregon, one of uh, more than a dozen in the state. So Cowhorn, Troon, both great places to go if you're looking for that kind of winemaking. So does this wine classify as natural wine then? Yeah, this is Troon does say this is a natural wine, and there's a whole process to define what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the sciences, sciencey part of wine is not my forte, um, but I understand it's something about the way it's fermented, and it's fermented in a more natural way without introducing a bunch of other compounds that will ferment the wine itself, but allowing it to sort of ferment on its own. And um, that's, you know, produces a type of wine that um, for a lot of people is more desirable. Did they offer any food here or was this strictly just the wine tasting? <laughs> um, I will say that there was sort of a funny food situation at Shrew and they, they offer a charcuterie board and you can also get an a la carte. Um, we didn't want the entire thing. So we was like, oh, you know, some cheese and crackers would be great. So we ordered this, you know, like Rogue Valley white cheddar and some crackers. And, um, you know, with all love to Shrew and it came out in a very funny way, which is just like a, a, a wrapped block of cheese and like a... <laughs> package of crackers on like a little slate and we're <laughs> like oh uh, like you would just get at the grocery store uh like it was not plated or anything uh-huh. um which i thought was which was the, i mean it was great we, we took some of that cheese home you know like you know, just like um and they also uh women serving us wine also um gave us a pear from their orchards um, Very cool. and knives so we had a little pear and cheese and crackers there um which is nice i'm a big fan of eating while wine tasting, yeah. um, especially if you're drinking. But even if you're not drinking, um, it's it's just, I think, a nice way to sort of bring some more flavors in, sort of balance the wine with some other things on your palate. Okay. What was the fourth and final uh, winery that you visited? All right. Placence Ranch was the fourth and final one. And this is um, a, a cool spot. It's like a, a ranch sort of look and feel to it. And um, the, the wine tasting area was a little bit smaller, but they have this much larger area where you can tell they do big events. Um, I'm told that they host sometimes sort of these, these dinners or, you know, they have food carts there. A lot of the winemakers I talked to said, Oh yeah, we love going to the events at Pleasance Ranch. Mm -hmm. And that was not happening while we were there. It was just sort of a regular wine tasting day. Mm -hmm. Um, So we rolled up and got a tasting and at Pleasance Ranch, the, they is one of the spots they offer you. They just sort of bring you the flight. Here are all the things. Here's the card, the information. Um, but they were um, very nice and sweet. They brought us some, a couple of extra pours. They just sort of give you a little plate with some olives and crackers and cheese and chocolates on it. Oh, wow. It just comes with the tasting. Yeah. Um, in the middle of the tasting, she came back and she's like, oh, we just made some brownies. Do you want some brownies? And we're like, yeah, we want some brownies. Thank you. That's amazing. Um, also, two dogs there came up and hung out with us, ah. um, which is very cool as well. Uh, so although, I mean, the wine was also excellent, but all these other little bits aside, it just, it made it sort of, uh, have this homey feel. Like I really felt like I was in someone's home, um, and they just happened to be serving wine and making wine there. And I really liked that about Pleasance Ranch. Yeah. That sounds so lovely. Like the ultimate experience. Um, so uh, what, what were your kind of like takeaways from visiting all the, all four of these wineries? You know, I, I think for me, there weren't any particular wines that really like hit me over the head that were like, oh, I've got to get a bottle of this or any wineries. I was like, oh, man, I've got to get like 
I got to be a member. Uh Um, That's not to say they're not worth that. I think a lot of people who love a certain winery, you kind of fall in love with one. It's a certain relationship you have. But for me, it was really about the experience of going through this region, stopping at these different wineries. Um, It was the, the whole package. So driving through the Applegate Valley was also just really beautiful in and of itself. So before we started hitting the wineries, we stopped off at this cute covered bridge called McKee Covered Bridge. We stopped off at Applegate Lake, which is this reservoir right on the California border. Mm -hmm. We drove over the border into California, which I don't recommend it. There's nothing exciting about it. The road just turns into gravel (laughs) and then turn around and go back. Um, But the all along the drive, the views were gorgeous. Uh You kind of have these jagged Siskiyou mountain peaks there. Um, A lot of trees. um, So the river itself was beautiful. Mm -hmm. The leaves were not turning when we were there, but I imagine if you go there in the fall when the leaves are turning, it must just be spectacular. So a really great wine country trip for fall um, and just a nice place to drive. So even if you don't want to do the wineries, um, it's a really nice place to drive between, you know, Medford and Grants Pass or Jacksonville to Grants Pass. Or even if you just want to jump off I-5 for a second and take a little, you know, backcountry drive, a little scenic detour. Yeah. It's a nice spot for that too. So... I mean, the wineries were why I was there. Uh That was sort of the reason for my trip. But I think this is a special place to go explore whether you want to do the wineries or not. Applegate Valley, based on what you said, even though uh, I don't know the most about wine, it still sounds super lovely. So uh, we're going to talk more about other things to do and see in Southern Oregon in case you want to make a whole trip out of it um, and really expand on other things you can do. And we'll talk about that right after a short break. All right, we're coming back from our break, and we are talking about Jamie's recent trip to the Applegate Valley, and we just talked about a few of the wineries he experienced there. So, Jamie, what other things can you do in and around the Applegate Valley if you really wanted to expand on your trip there? I I feel like the thing is, if you're in Southern Oregon, I mean, we spent two nights there, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, which was great for this trip, but you could really spend a week in this part of Oregon and see so much. Um, this is a really beautiful part of the state and there's a lot, a lot to do there. So what a lot of people might do is use this as a jumping off point to go to Crater Lake, mm. um, which is not right next door, but is in that neck of the woods. Yeah. You know, if you wanted to drive, you know, five hours down I-5, stop off in Jacksonville or Medford, and then spend the next day driving up to Crater Lake, you can do that. Um, and a lot of people I think do. Obviously, Crater Lake one of the most beautiful places in Oregon. Um, definitely worth a trip if you've not been there. Uh, another thing you, people could do is do anything along the Rogue River. So the Applegate River flows into the Rogue River and it is the Rogue River itself is, um, there's all kinds of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously backpacking, rafting, day hiking, uh, jet boat rides. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you can do on the Rogue River as it flows to the Pacific Ocean. Mm. Um, that is, you know, a whole other jumping off point for adventure in and of itself. I did not know that you could do jet boat rides in the Rogue River. That sounds cool. Uh. Yeah. 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 If you go to Gold Beach, you can get a good jet boat ride up the Rogue River into the wilderness and back. Um, it's very cool. It's a little bit of an intense experience yeah. doing a jet boat. Um, like, I, I definitely feel like my my butt hurt after, like it was a long day on the jet boat. Um, but the real move is to take the jet boat up to the Paradise Lodge, 
on the Rogue River, stay there for the night and take the jet boat back. That's a nice move. Don't do this if you're hungover after your wine tasting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, would not advise that. No. I believe the Oregon Caves are down this way as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, Crater Lake, Rogue River are the big ones. Some of the um, still really amazing but less popular option, uh, Oregon Caves is, is, I think, one of my favorite spots. Um, you know, it's it's uh, a, an easy cave tour that anyone can do. Uh, and these are marble caves uh, that have um, are, that are just really like, I want to say millions of years old. Wow. Um, just ancient, ancient marble caves um, that the, the National Park Service does tours through. And it's a really great spot. A little bit of a drive to get out there from Cave Junction, but definitely worth it. Um, so I, I think that's it, it's pretty close to. Um, Grants Pass. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be out in this area, it's not too far to do a day trip out to the Oregon Caves and back. And I definitely, definitely would recommend that. Another one that's kind of in the other direction um, down I-5 is a Cascade Siskiyou National Monument. Um, so this is where the Cascade Mountains meet the Siskiyou Mountains, as the name implies. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot of opportunities here for day hiking, for backpacking, um, it's sort of known as this ecological wonderland where you see lots of plants and butterflies and animals that you might not see other places um, because it's just like the, this place where these mountain ranges collide in this really beautiful way. So um, for folks who want some more rugged backcountry adventure or just something a little bit different, Cascade Siskiyou is a really cool spot to explore. Oh, so cool. Okay, I got to know, are there any weird kind of funky roadside attractions around this area? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think uh, two of the weirder, funkier roadside attractions in the state are like right here. Um, so if you if you're doing this Dapplegate Valley tour, right? So I think the way a lot a way that you can do it is to go from like, so we did Jacksonville through this valley to Grants Pass and then looped back around on I-5, mm-hmm. making this, this cute little loop right there. And on the way, when you're coming back on I-5, you pass this town called Gold Hill. And right in Gold Hill is a place called the Oregon Vortex. So um, I don't know how much of it I can explain in words. <laughs> but the Oregon Vortex is one of those like weird places where like weird things happen. And what I love is that they don't try to explain them. If You can go get a tour and it's kind of funky roadside attraction-y, you know. They wear their tie-dye shirts. They got the things. <laughs> but they're like standing brooms on end and they're doing weird, you know, um, Weird things with measurements. People people seem, seem to change in height depending on where you stand toward the center of this vortex. Um, it's not like a smoke and mirrors thing. Uh-huh. They're just like, here's a weird place. These things are happening. Why? We don't know. Come check <laughs> it out. Um, and I love that about it. Um, definitely recommend the Oregon Vortex if you're into any of that kind of funky stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one is the, the Bigfoot Trap. Recommend this less. It's just like a weird... Um, I don't know. It looks sort of like a, a shed with a trap door on it that someone has just built in the forest. I'll be honest. I don't know the backstory of the Bigfoot trap, but it's a place that's sort of, you know, covered in graffiti that people like to go see. You kind of have to hike out into the woods to go see it, but it's down there by Applegate Lake. Uh, you can find it on Google Maps pretty easily. Um, so if you're into something a little weirder, a little more rugged, check out the Bigfoot trap too. <laughs> Oh, man, I will be researching the Bigfoot trap after this. Oh, man. Anything else uh, adventure-wise to note that's kind of nearby? 
Maybe not adventure-wise, but I will say if you're going to be down around Ashland, um, might as well do a Shakespeare Festival day. Um, that's always an option. It's a little bit more expensive, I think, to do a Shakespeare Festival trip to Ashland because you got to get the hotel, tickets to the shows, dinner, all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but if you have the means, I think it's a really cool way to spend another night or two. Um, go see a couple shows, hang out down there. Um, it's a good balance to sort of the more rugged adventure um, stuff. Uh, have a nice sort of bougie evening in Ashland. Get your nice clothes on. Go see a, a, a beautiful production of some Shakespeare play or whatever. I think that's another nice way to do it. So if people are looking to go to the Applegate Valley sometime, should they be trying to go before you know it gets too cold out, I assume? What's the weather going to about to turn into? The concern you have going down in that part of the state uh, into the winter is snow uh, and the mountains. Right. But if the roads are clear, um, I I think that most of the wineries will, you know, do tastings. Or what you can do is do tastings in tasting rooms in places like Jacksonville or Grants Pass mm-hmm. or Medford. There's another way to do it. Um, but I would say if you want to get down there, do it this fall. Yeah, it's going to be beautiful. Um, the weather down there should stay relatively warm. It's Southern Oregon. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these wineries are going to stay open. So um, go check them out while you can here or just make a trip for next spring or whenever you want. I think the only time of year that you might want to avoid this area is fire season, um, which is unfortunate, but a reality um, of given where we're at here right now. So, um, you know, I, I would avoid like sort of your August, September times um, if there are fires active down there. If Obviously, if there's no fires, sure, go down and, and just keep that in the back of your mind. For sure. And I'm asking this for myself because, uh, <laughs> as I've said before, I still haven't made it to Crater Lake. And if I can make a big, huge trip out of it, I will. So, <laughs> Yeah, we definitely do Crater Lake before the snow falls. Unless you uh-huh. want to get up there and do snow stuff. Then in which case, wait for the snow to fall. Uh, but it's, you know, that... that just that's a whole area where there's so much to see, so much to do. So it is not hard to make a nice road trip out of three or four of these these different these different things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sometime soon, hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vicky, I'm really excited to, for you to explore that area and see some of these beautiful places that I obviously love so much. Um, but for today, I think we're going to have to go ahead and wrap things up. So, folks, until next time, you can watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel and view all of our travel and outdoors coverage on OregonLive.com slash travel, as well as HereIsOregon.com. Please leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the show. And if you want to support this podcast and our local journalism, please consider a subscription to Oregon Live. You can find details at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Also, if you're a fan of the show and are interested in potentially sponsoring it, you can get in touch with our marketing people at advertise at oregonian.com. This episode of the show was produced by me, Vicki Connor, alongside Jamie Hale and Andrew Thien. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.